0: Chapter 9 of Six Years with the Texas Rangers, 1875-1881. to 1881. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Stephen R. Gagan. Six Years with the Texas Rangers, 1875-1881 to 1881 by James B. Gillette. Chapter 9, Sam Bass and his Train Robber Gang, Part 2. Bass, Sebby Barnes, Frank Jackson, and Jim Murphy left Denton County early in July 1878. With his usual boldness, Bass, after he had passed Dallas County, made no attempt at concealment, but traveled a public highway in broad daylight. Bass and Barnes were still suspicious of Murphy and never let him out of their sight, though they refused to talk to or associate with him in any way. When Bass reached Waco, the party camped on the outskirts of town and remained there two or three days. Visited the town each day, looked over their situation, and in one bank, so much gold and currency. Jackson was enthusiastic and wanted to rob it at once. Bass, being more careful and experienced, thought it too hazard an undertaking, for the run through the crowded streets to the outskirts of the city was too far, and so he vetoed the attempt. While in Waco, the gang stepped into a saloon to get a drink. Bass laid a $20 gold piece on the bar and remarked, there goes the last twenty of the Union Pacific money. Damn little good it has done me. On leaving Waco, the robbers stole a fine mare from a farmer named Billy Mounds and traveled the main road to Belton. They were now out of money and planned to rob a bank at Round Rock, Williamson County. General Jones was now getting anxious over the gang. Not a word had been heard from Jim Murphy since he had rejoined the band, for he had been so closely watched that he had no opportunity to communicate with the authorities and it seemed as if he would be forced to participate in the next robbery in spite of himself. At Belton, Sam sold an extra pony his party had after stealing the mare at Waco. The purchaser demanded a bill of sale as the vendors were stranger in the country. While Bass and Barnes were in the store writing out the required document, Murphy seized the opportunity to dash off a short note to General Jones saying, We are on our way to Round Rock to rob the bank. For God's sakes, be there to prevent it. At the post office join the store, the trader succeeded in mailing his letter of betrayal just one minute before Bass came out on the street again. The gang continued their way to the Round Rock and camped near the Old Town, which is situated about one mile north of New Round Rock. The bandits concluded to rest and feed their horses for three or four days before attempting their robbery. This delay was providential for it gave General Jones time to assemble his rangers to repel the attack. After Major Jones was made Adjutant General of Texas, he caused a small detachment of four or five rangers to camp on the Capitol grounds at Austin. He drew his units from different companies along the line. Each unit would be detailed to camp in Austin, and about every six weeks or two months, the detail would be relieved by a squad from another company. It will readily be seen that this was a wise policy, as the detail was always on hand and could be sent in any direction by rail or on horseback at short notice." Besides, General Jones was devoted to his rangers and liked to have them around where he could see them daily. At the time of which I write, four men from Company E, Corporal Vernon Wilson and Privates Dick Ware, Chris Connor, and George Harold, were camped at Austin. The Corporal helped General Jackson as a clerk in his office, but was in charge of the squad on the Capitol grounds, slept in camp, and had his meals with them. When General Jones received Murphy's letter, he was astonished at Bass's audacity in approaching within 15 or 20 miles of the state capital, the very headquarters of the Frontier Battalion to rob a bank. The letter was written at Belton, Texas, and received at the Adjutant General's office on the last mail in the afternoon. The company of Rangers nearest Round Rock was Lt. Reynolds Company E, stationed at San Saba, 115 miles distant. There was no telegraph to San Saba then, General Jones reflected a few moments after receipt of the letter and then arranged his plan accordingly. He turned to Corporal Wilson and told him that Sam Bass and his gang were, or soon would be, at Round Rock, Texas, to rob the bank there. I want you to leave at once to carry an order to Lieutenant Reynolds. It is 65 miles to Lampasas, and you can make that place early enough in the morning to catch the Lampasas and San Saba stage. You must make that stage at all hazards, save neither yourself nor your horse but get these orders to Lieutenant Reynolds as quickly as possible, he ordered. Corporal Wilson hurried to the livery stable, saddled his horse, and got away from Austin on his wild ride just at nightfall. His horse was fresh and fat and in no condition to make such a run. However, Wilson reached Lampasas at daylight the next morning and made the outgoing stage to San Saba, but killed his gallant little gray horse in doing. From Lampasas to San Saba was 50 miles, and it took the stage all day to make the trip as soon as he landed in town corporal wilson hired a horse and galloped three miles down to lieutenant reynolds camp and delivered his orders after dispatching corporal wilson to lieutenant reynolds general jones hurried over to the ranger camp on capitol grounds and ordered the three rangers ware corner and harold to proceed to round rock put their horses in high smith's livery stable and keep themselves concealed until he could reach them himself by train next morning the following morning general jones went to round rock he carried with him from austin Morris Moore, an ex-ranger but then deputy sheriff of Travis County. On reaching his destination, the general called on Deputy Sheriff Grimes of Williamson's County, who was stationed at Round Rock and told him Bass was expected in town to rob the bank and that a scout of rangers would be in town as soon as possible. Jones advised Deputy Grimes to keep a sharp lookout for strangers, but on no account to attempt an arrest until the rangers could arrive. I will remember that hot July evening when Corporal Wilson arrived in our camp with his orders. The company had just had supper. The horses fed and tied up for the night. We knew the sudden appearance of the corporal meant something of unusual importance. Soon Sergeant Neville came hurrying to us with orders to detail a party for an immediate scout. Lieutenant Reynolds' orders had been brief but to the point. Bass is at Round Rock. We must be there as early as possible tomorrow. Make a detail of eight men and select those that have the horses best able to make a fast run and you, with them, report to me here at my tent ready to ride in 30 minutes. 1st Sergeant C.L. Neville, 2nd Sergeant Henry McGee, 2nd Corporal J.B. Gillette, Privates Abe Anglin, Dave Lingen, Bill Derrick, John R., and W.L. Bannister were selected for the detail. Lieutenant Reynolds ordered two of our best little pack mules hitched to a light spring pack, for he had been sick and was not in condition to make the journey horseback. In 30 minutes... From the time Corporal Wilson reached camp, we were mounted, armed, and ready to go. Lieutenant Reynolds took his seat in the hack, threw some blankets in, and Corporal Wilson, who had not had a minute's sleep for over 36 hours, lay down to get a little rest as we moved along. Say, boys, did you ever try to follow on horseback too fast, traveling little mules hitched to an open-top spring hack for 100 miles? Well, it is some stunt. We left our camp on the San Saba River just as sunset and traveled in a fast trot, sometimes in a lope, the entire night. Our old friend and comrade, Jack Martin, then in the mercantile business in the little town of Santa heard us pass by in the night and next morning said to some of his customers that hell was to pay somewhere as the rangers had passed his store during the night on a dead run. The first rays of the rising sun shone on us at the crossing of North Gabriel. 15 miles south of Lampasas. We had ridden 65 miles that short summer night. We had 45 miles yet to go before reaching Round Rock. We halted on the Gabriel for breakfast of bread, broiled bacon, and black coffee. The horses had a bundle of oats each. Lieutenant Reynolds held his watch on us, and it took us just 30 minutes to breakfast and be off. We were now facing a hot July sun, and our horses were beginning to show the effects of the hard ride of the night before and slowed down perceptibly. We never halted again until we reached the vicinity of Old Round Rock between 1 and 2 in the afternoon of Friday, July nineteenth, 1878. The lieutenant camped us on the banks of the Brushy Creek and drove into New Round Rock to report his arrival to General Jones. Bass had decided to rob the bank at Round Rock on Saturday the 20th after his gang had eaten dinner in camp Friday evening, They saddled their ponies and started over to town to take a last look at the bank and select a route to follow in leaving the place after the robbery. As they left camp, Jim Murphy, knowing that the bandits might be set upon at any time, suggested that he stop at May's store in Old Round Rock and get a bushel of corn as they were out of feed for their horses. Bass, Barnes, and Jackson rode on into the town, hitched their horses in an alley just back of the bank, passed that building, and made a mental note of the situation. Then they went up the main street of the town and entered Corporal's store to buy some tobacco. As the three bandits passed into the store, Deputy Sheriff Moore, who was standing on the sidewalk with Deputy Sheriff Grimes, said he thought one of the newcomers had a pistol. I will go in and see, replied Grimes. I believe you have a pistol, remarked Grimes, approaching Bass and trying to search him. Yes, of course I have a pistol, said Bass. At the words, the robbers pulled their guns and killed Grimes as he backed away to the door. He fell dead on the sidewalk. Then they turned on Moore and shot him through the lungs as he attempted to draw his weapon. At the crack of the first pistol shot, Dick Ware, who was seated in a barbershop only a few steps away, waiting his turn for a shave, rushed into the street and encountered the three bandits just as they were leaving the store. Seeing Ware rapidly advancing on them, Bass and his men fired on the ranger at close range, one of their bullets striking a hitching post within six inches of Ware's head and knocking splinters into his face. This assault never halted Ware for a minute. He was as brave as courage itself and never hesitated to take the most desperate chances when the occasion demanded it. For a few minutes, Dick fought the robbers single-handed. General Jones, coming up town from the telegraph office, ran into the fight. He was armed with only a small Colt double-action pistol, but threw himself into the fray. Corner and Harold now had come up and joined in the fusillade. The general, seeing the robbers on foot and almost within his grasp, drew in close and urged his men to strain every nerve to capture or exterminate the desperadoes. By this time, every man in the town that could secure a gun joined in the fight. The bandits had now reached their horses, and realizing the situation was critical, fought with the energy of despair. If ever a train robber could be called a hero, this boy, Frank Jackson, proved himself one. Barnes was shot down and killed at his feet. Bass was mortally wounded and unable to defend himself or even mount his horse while the bullets continued to pour in from every quarter. With heroic courage, Jackson held the ranger's back with his pistol in his right hand while he unhitched Bass's horse with his left and assisted him into the saddle. Then mounting his own horse, Jackson and his chief galloped out of the jaws of hell itself. In their flight, they passed through Old Round Rock, and Jim Murphy, standing on the door of May's store, saw Jackson and Bass go by on a dead run the betrayer noticed that Jackson was holding Bass, pale and bleeding in the saddle. Lieutenant Reynolds, entering Round Rock, came within five minutes of meeting Bass and Jackson in the road. Before he reached town, he met posses of citizens and rangers in pursuit of the robbers. When the fugitives reached the cemetery, Jackson halted long enough to secure a Winchester they had hidden in the grass there, then left the road and were lost for a time. The fight was now over, and the play spoiled by two overzealous deputies in bringing on an immature fight after they had been warned to be careful. Naturally, Moore and Grimes should have known that the three strangers were the Sam Bass gang. Lieutenant Reynolds started Sergeant Neville and his rangers early next morning in search of the flying bandits. After traveling in the direction the robbers were last seen, we came upon a man lying under a large oak tree. Since we were armed as we advanced upon him, he called out to us not to shoot saying he was Sam Bass, the men we were hunting. After entering the woods the evening before, Bass became so sick and faint from the loss of blood that he could go no further. Jackson dismounted and wanted to stay with his chief, declaring he was a match for all their pursuers. No, Frank, replied Bass, I'm done for. The wounded leader told his companion to tie his horse near at hand so he could get away if he felt better during the night. Jackson was finally prevailed upon to leave Bass and make his own escape. When daylight came Saturday morning, Bass got up and walked to a nearby house. As he approached the place of a lady, seeing him coming, holding his pants up all covered with blood, he left her house and started to run off as she was alone with a small servant girl. Bass saw she was frightened, called to her to stop, saying he was perishing from a drink of water and returned to a tree not far away and lie down, if she would only send him a drink. The lady sent him a quart cup of water, but the poor fellow was too far gone to drink it. We found him under this tree one hour later. He had a wound through the center of his left hand, the bullet having pierced the middle finger. Bass's death wound was given him by Dick Ware, who used a forty-five caliber Colt's long-barreled six-shooter. The ball from Ware's pistol struck Bass's belt and cut two cartridges and peaches and entered his back just above the right hip bone. The bullet badly mushroomed and made a fearful wound that tore at the victim's right kidney all to pieces. From the moment he was shot until his death three days later, Bass suffered untold agonies as he lay on the ground Friday night where Jackson had left him. The wounded man tore his undershirt into more than one hundred pieces and wiped the blood from his body. Bass was taken around rock and given the best of medical attention, but died the following day sunday july 21, eighteen seventy eight while he was yet able to talk, General Jones appealed to Bass to reveal to the state authorities the names of the confederates that he had that they might be apprehended. Sam, you have done much evil in this world and have only a few hours to live. Now, while you have a chance to do the state some good, please tell me who your associates were in these violations of the laws of your country. Sam replied that he could not betray his friends and that he might as well die with what he knew in him. Sam Bass was buried in the cemetery at Old Round Rock. A small monument was erected over his grave by his sister. Its simple inscription reads, Samuel Bass. Born July 21st, 1851. Died July 21st, 1878. A brave man reposes in death here. Why was he not true? Frank Jackson made his way back into Denton County and hung around some time, hoping to get an opportunity to murder the betrayer of his chief, an ingrate whose cause he himself had so amply championed. Jackson declared if he could meet Jim Murphy, he would kill him. Cut off his head and carry it away in a gunnysack. sack. Murphy returned to Denton, but learned that Jackson was hiding in the Elm Bottoms, awaiting a chance to slay him. He thereupon asked permission of the sheriff to remain in jail for protection. While skulking about the prison, one of his eyes became infected. A physician gave him some medicine to drop into the diseased eye, at the same time cautioning him to be careful, as the fluid was a deadly poison. Murphy drank the entire contents of the bottle and was dead in a few hours. Remorse, no doubt, caused him to end his life. Of the four men that fought the Round Rock battle with Sam Boss and his gang, all are dead. General J.B. Jones and Rangers R.C. Ware, Chris Connor, and George Harrell. Of the ten men that made the long ride from San Saba to Round Rock, only two are now alive. Lieutenant N.O. Reynolds and myself. End Chapter 9